Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store Your family is special. That's why Pathways Financial Credit Union offers many mortgage options to help you buy that special home or refinance your current home. Pathways offers some of the best rates and lowest fees you'll find anywhere in the country. As the fastest growing credit union in Ohio over the last 10 years, you know you can trust our mortgage professionals to do what's best for you. Visit one of our convenient locations or check us out at pathwayscu.com. Offer of credit is subject to credit approval. Pathways is an equal opportunity lender and is federal insured by the NCUA. Easter is coming up and I just can't wait to have the whole family in one place. And of course, what's Easter without an awesome Easter brunch? Now, I don't know about your family, but mine is a little picky and I really wanted to impress them with something delicious. A friend told me I should check out Total Wine and More. It was crazy. They must have every wine and beer imaginable. I told one of their friendly experts my situation and they found me just the thing. This sparkling wine is going to be absolutely perfect for brunch, even with my picky family. I know next time I need something. I'm shopping at Total Wine and More. Welcome to the NBA podcast presented by B-Ball Breakdown. I'm Morgan Jensen, and alongside me, Brian Soporic and Sarah Chilea. How are you guys? Doing well, Morton. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you, Brian. Sarah, how are you? Hey, guys. I'm good. Sounds good. So this is our first official podcast for B-Ball Breakdown, and we've just been so creative in naming this podcast the NBA podcast. You know, it's... It's awesome. I like it. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Sounds iconic. Short and sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start up with the Golden State Warriors. I mean, I've had them at 75 and 7 for the past month or so, but a lot of people have been lashing out at that, thinking they're going to finish with a lower uh, total. And that might be true, given that they have to meet the Spurs two times around. But, you know, the Spurs might sit some guys. Could we be looking at the first team ever to win 75 games, Sarah? It's certainly looking very, very possible, even likely. Um, As you mentioned, the Spurs are most likely going to sit people those last couple games. The only reason I could think of that Pop might not sit people is just trying to keep in a rhythm. Other than that, I don't think he's petty enough to be worried about their record (laughs) and I don't think that he's concerned at all about the Spurs going undefeated at home so yeah I mean they the the Warriors still have four meetings with teams who are going to be fighting hard for a playoff position we got Boston and Portland and Memphis twice and they've been looking a little more vulnerable lately but they still find ways to pull out games. So, no, it's very likely. The question might be, 
are they concerned with winning everything they can? Are they, do they want to win out and get 75? Do they only care about getting 73? I don't know. That's a good question, actually. I, I would imagine that you want to win as many games when you're mm-hmm. in the 70s because when you're there, you sort of like have to go all the way. Right. I don't think after hitting 70, you get you get satisfied. I think they want to take you all the way through. And like, think about it. Back in 95, 96, winning 72 was viewed as something that would just never be able to be broken. Right. Now we're looking at a team that might win 75. <laughs> and the obvious question arises, Brian... Can 75 be beaten? No, no way. There's absolutely no way. There's nothing. I mean, it's just the confluence of events that led to this year's Warriors team, even with the salary cap exploding, are just never going to happen again. You're never going to have the best player in the league on such a below-market contract. And because Steph is signed for $11 million, they can fill out the roster with guys like Iggy, who would be starting for... 15 20 some teams he's coming off the bench you know you have a, a bunch of guys still on their rookie contracts harrison barnes festus azili they're helping fill out your depth a little bit so i i mean i would be absolutely shocked if we ever saw someone top whatever the warriors are going to do this year I, i'm still i don't know that i have them at 75 i'm leaning 74 just because those two Spurs games, I could see them splitting, especially if Pop doesn't rest his starters in one. But, you know, they have, coming up, they have Boston, Portland, Minnesota at home. Boston and Portland are scary, but Portland, you know, they were the ones where Dame just absolutely lit them up. Uh, so I think there's a revenge factor there. Boston took them to double overtime and softened them up for their first loss, so I think there's a revenge factor there. Um I'm really just curious to see what Pop does if he rests starters and where he does it because, you know, I could see him saying, I want to play my guys at home so the Warriors are still scared to come to San Antonio if they can't beat us twice there. But I could also see him saying, I'm going to rest them at home because we already beat them there before, and I'm going to play them on the road. And if we can beat them in Oracle... That's going to plant just a little seed of doubt in their minds if the two teams do meet up in the Western Conference Finals. Right. Uh, I, I just I don't know if Pop even is interested in, in playing them hard out there. But what's the – I don't have the schedule in front of me. Which game is the last one? Is it in San Antonio or in Oracle? Yeah, in, in San uh, in San Antonio is coming up before Oracle. The Oracle okay. one is the second to last game of the season. Depending on how many days they're going to have off between that last game of the season and start of the playoffs, he might go for that one just to give them one more good, hard competition before they have so many days off for just practice. Yeah, it looks like they play... Sunday, April 10th is versus Golden State in the Bay Area. Then they have OKC and Dallas Tuesday, Wednesday. So if he plays them Golden State and then rests them those last two nights, they get basically a week uh, of rest before the playoffs. Yeah. Well, he's definitely not playing, we know, the back-to-back full squad both times. Mm-hmm. Mm. I don't know. If I'm Pop, I'm going to go all out in Oakland. I want to put some scare into the dubs at home, at Oracle. Even if they lose, I want them to just go 
full strength pedal to the metal just to like show Golden State that we're right here. We are right here alongside you, not beneath you. We are right there alongside you. And then for the game in San Antonio, yeah, you know, I mean, sure, Pop would probably like to have a perfect home record. Who wouldn't? <laughs> but I, I don't think that carries a lot of weight on his mind at all. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. But certainly two of the most intriguing games for the remaining season. It, it's, the, it's the perfect way to close out the season, basically. Two mm-hmm. of the best teams, like, ever go head-to-head to close everything off and to just give us, like, a taste of what's to come in the Western Conference Finals. I mean, you couldn't have written a better script. I, I am completely in love with the NBA schedule from, from here on out. <laughs> Especially when Boban plays 35 minutes a night in both games. It's going to be lit. I, I want him to start next year just because. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I love that dude. His hand, Have you seen his hands? They're unreal. I mean, they're, they're the size of my table. It's just... Jeez. <laughs> so, moving on to another good team. A fantastic team, rather, especially when you look at their raw level of talent, the Oklahoma City Thunder. They're kind of tricky because they have some firepower, but Serge Ibaka, their third guy, uh, who's been their third guy in what feels like forever, has come out and thrown a little bit of shade at the organization, or Russell Westbrook, or Kevin Durant, or whatever. He, he just doesn't want to stand in the corner and wait for it eight minutes, which is kind of understandable. And it also goes hand-in-hand hand with the fact that his numbers have gone down, and they have gone down for two straight years now. Two years ago, he had a PER of almost 20, and now it's down to 14. His numbers per minute has gone down, and when you watch games, he also looks to be less involved. How concerning is that for a team like Oklahoma City, who relies already on two guys, Sarah? I feel like, first of all, if they're playing the Spurs, Serge is going to go, like, eight of eight from the field and <laughs> destroy us anyway so but no it is a concern especially if he's not feeling involved um and not only not feeling involved he's actually not involved but you know that's that's why to me nobody wants to play that team ever but i don't think they're as scary as they have been in years past they still have the same vulnerabilities that they've had like you said, they still rely too much on those two guys. Uh, they have more offensive potential now with uh, Cantor and Ibaka if they choose to use him. Uh, Waiters if he, you know, is having a good night. But yeah, they still, when the game slows down, they go into that ISO ball that they've always gone into, and the defense is highly suspect. So I don't think they're as big of a threat as I've felt like they were in years past, even. Yeah, I keep trying trying to buy in. I think they were my preseason champion pick. Like I've been sold on them for so long just because in the playoffs it does seem like talent wins out over everything. And if you have two of the best players in the NBA, like more often than not that works out for you. It it has been a little disconcerting to see Serge just he doesn't he really doesn't seem as involved or like as high motor as he usually is and that's his game like he doesn't need to score 20 points and grab 10 boards but he needs to at least put that fear in your mind that if you're driving into the paint he's gonna reject your shot and it seems like he's just not quite there that said prior to Tuesday's loss against Detroit they had won eight straight 
and Russell Westbrook had been a triple-double machine, and Tuesday's loss came without Kevin Durant and Serge Ibaka, so it's not like I'm really sweating a late-season stumble when they're missing two of their top three players. I think the, the thing to watch for, especially in a series with the Spurs, is if Billy Donovan really decides to go small ball and put KD at the four and Ibaka at the five, because I could see at least them holding their own, even if Aldridge and Duncan are the guys they're going against. You know, I it's going to be tough, admittedly, but, you know, I think if you put Westbrook, I would say two floor spacers, but they don't really have those. But, you know, like maybe Dion Waiters and uh, Andre Robertson with Durant and Ibaka in the front court, that's going to present a matchup problem for the Spurs, I think. You could throw Anthony Morrow in there as well. If you, if you look at a guy who can really stretch the court defensively, he has some issues. But at, at least you know he's not Andre Roberson from from downtown. <laughs> it was like thirty percent or something like that. But yeah, I, I would agree with that. My said I, I hate the fact that they traded D, DJ Augustine. Mm-hmm. I know that he played horribly for them, but he really picks it up whenever he gets traded. It seems, and for now, he's really balling out in Denver. If he had been as effective as he is in Denver, yeah, he would have been an obvious choice to actually pair Russell with, and you could have gone super small, super quick, because you would still have Ibaka to protect the rim if teams went by DJ. So there are a lot of elements at play here. But even so, I just have a hard time seeing the cohesiveness on this team compared to San Antonio, compared to Golden State. It seems like, as you touched on earlier, Sarah, that it's they really take turns playing mm-hmm. isolation basketball. And this has been a, like a frequent critique of them for the last five, six years, I think. So this isn't this isn't news. The question now becomes: How do you change that? How do you make these two individual great stars somehow get on the same page and and run a system? Because that was the whole attraction of getting Billy Donovan in there. Remember how much people were hyping up the Thunder? Like, oh, they're going to run system sets now. They're actually going to run plays. I mean, they haven't to the extent that I thought they would. Yeah, I, I've seen some things here and there, some small wrinkles that I like, um, especially Duran setting some pin-down screens and, and that, that he didn't use to do. But outside of that, it, it hasn't really been a whole lot. And I'm kind of concerned that their weak link right now is just that lack of cohesiveness as well as you know the coaching, basically. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you guys stand on this, but... Do they, I mean, I personally just feel when I watch Oklahoma that there's no team chemistry, and that sounds weird for a team that's like, yeah, what are they right now, 52 and 23? But they just get by somehow, some way, and there's just not really any logic to it. It's all talent, all shooting, and all Russell Westbrook doing Russell Westbrook things. It's it's You, you can't rely on that I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, you do get the feeling when it comes down to crunch time that they're kind of making it up as they go. And uh, in the playoffs, you know, when it comes down to who's going to blink first, if it's them versus the Warriors or the Spurs, you you have to take the Warriors or the Spurs in that that situation. Yeah, especially because both teams have defensive options to shut down uh, Westbrook and Durant. Like, the Spurs can put... Kawhi on Durant and then Danny Green on Westbrook and that's you're not going to stop those guys but you're at least going to make things challenging and then if 
they get by the Spurs and meet the Warriors in the conference finals. You have Clay, Iggy, Draymond, all of whom can throw different looks at both guys. So I agree, it's going to be it'll be a challenge for sure. I still think they're of any team left outside of the Warriors and the Spurs, they're just about the only other team that wouldn't surprise me if they won it all. But I wouldn't go into the playoffs saying they are the favorite by any means. I think they're definitely a tier behind both the Warriors and Spurs. I have a feeling Pop could surprise us a little bit by putting Kawhi on Russell Westbrook at some mm. point and then run um, Draymond Green on, on Kevin Durant. Just just to give them a different look and just have Kawhi claw his way against Russell Westbrook mm. each time down the court. Could you just imagine you know Kawhi with this 6-7 frame quick instincts i mean you i'm not saying he could take russell out of the ball game but he could make the initial uh dribble up slower he could get them into their set slower and just get the clock down to a respectable level for what the bull for the, what the spurs wants to do um I, i'm not sure that you really have an answer for kevin durand even if you put draymond on him but if you can affect russell westbrook and the tempo of which he plays in i think that's basically key because he's the guy who creates all these transition baskets. He's the guy who really crashes into people, gets to the rim, collapses defenses. If you can just keep him on the perimeter 10% more than what he is right now, then you have, like, a leg up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Pop actually has done that. Uh, he did that a lot in their last meeting in San Antonio. He had Kawhi on Westbrook and Danny on, on Durant. And it worked pretty well, so I'm sure he will play around with that if they should meet again. And as it stands, the Spurs and the Thunder would meet in the second round, so basically there's little to no chance that OKC meets the Dubs at all. Yeah, I mean, even if they do, I feel like that Spurs series is going to take so much out of them. Like, that's that's the brutal thing. Like, the Thunder are a really good team, but having to play back-to-back series yeah. against the Spurs and the Warriors is just like... How the hell does any team survive that? That That's really where I'm at, because when people come up with a different winner in terms of you know not being Golden State or, or, or San Antonio, you have to realize something. At this point, this late into the season, Golden State and San Antonio have lost a combined 19 games. For anyone to get past both of those squads, you have to win eight. Eight against those teams. That's that's not happening unless someone of significance goes down. Let's just call it like it is. If someone goes down badly, I, I should add, then yeah, they have a shot, but it would have to be like in two straight series. Uh, I get what you're saying, Brian, in terms of like OKC is the one team that potentially could, but they're still so far off. It's, it's quite unrealistic when you look at it, really. I mean, they've mm-hmm. already lost 23 games. They have some left. I think they played 75 something like that I just don't see any way possible that, that they're going to go as far and it, Cleveland and Toronto either This is I, I'm just looking forward to the NBA finals actually being in the Western Conference finals because that's really what it's going to be <laughs> it should just change the entire format okay so so moving on um, Cleveland they, I just touched on them and um, there's been a little bit of uh, well I don't want to say criticism but Zach Lowe came out with a piece where he just point out some stuff that could be problematic and one of the things that he touched on was their uh, problematic front court and how Kevin Love is basically being 
paid way too much money to do what he really does, which is not a critique of love, but his role. Uh, he basically is a glorified Al Harrington out there. So what can Cleveland even do to get into this conversation, Bry? Uh, can they go back to the trade deadline and trade Kevin Love for someone? <laughs> could, or could they go back two years ago and not trade him for Andrew Wiggins? I mean, yeah, like you said it, the roster just doesn't fit all that well together. And, you know, Zach's column covered a lot of that. It's just you have three or four guys, all of whom are best suited to play the four, including, you know, LeBron James. But if you put Love at the five, your defense is going to be a turnstile if if someone gets past your perimeter defenders. Um, And it's also not like Cleveland is only two games up on the Raptors right now. It's not like they have the number one seed locked up. So... At a time where they should be playing, at least like they have something at stake, you know, they lost to the Brooklyn Nets the other week, like the Brooklyn Nets, and then they lost, they lost, or gave up a 20-point lead against Houston and lost that game. They, granted, LeBron James is not playing, but those are not great signs when you're two weeks away from the playoffs. Like, <laughs> if momentum is such a thing, they have none of it. Yeah. That's that's the interesting thing about them is clearly they're still the favorites to make it out of the East. But when you look at them, do you think that they're a better team than they were last year or even as good? So far, it does not look that way. Um, they just, it's like they're falling behind the level that they were playing at last year. They, they didn't get better and that was the goal so everything is obviously not running as smoothly as it could be running i think a big thing you know last year they had their hand forced a little bit by the love injury in the playoffs and then Kyrie in the finals obviously you don't want two of your theoretical top three guys going down but they played pretty well without love and it forced lebron to take on more of a role at the four um so it makes you wonder, like, were they, should that have been a sign? Should they have said, oh, we don't need Kevin Love to go to the finals. Maybe we should get a few more wings to back up LeBron and to take some defensive responsibilities off of his hands. And maybe that'll force him to play the four more, which is absolutely, he should be a full-time four. Like, he's, what is he doing at the three anymore? He's, he needs to be the four. He needs to be Cleveland's version of Draymond Green. So until the Cavs rectify their front court logjam, which they can't do until the offseason at this point, it does make you wonder if they kind of missed their shot this year. And just to add, last year they went 53-29. and 29. When they fired David Blatt after 41 games, they were on pace to win 60 games. I, I didn't understand that fire, but I suppose it was because of team chemistry or lack thereof. Players were not listening to him or whatever, but... Tyron Lue, who's taken over, is 22-11. and 11. Uh, So basically he's lost the same amount of games as Blatt did in 41 games. I'm not sure that was in any type of upgrade. I mean, sure, maybe teams or players are getting along with Lue a little bit better, but that has come at the expense of victories, and you have to, like, at some point ask yourself, will those victories come back to bite you in the ass, especially come playoff time? Because if the Raptors overtake the first seed, 
that's not <laughs> that's not really where Cleveland wanted to be, you know. So, how about that coaching there, Bride? Mm-hmm. I mean, do you trust Tyron Lue to pull them to the finals, or are we just ignoring coaches at this point and thinking LeBron is just steering this team and he's the one who's the GM, the coach, the star player, the all everything? Well, I'm glad you brought up the difference between Blatt and Lou because with Blatt, they were both fifth and offensive rating and defensive rating. So they were a top five team in both categories for the first half of the season. With Lou, they're second in offensive rating, so their offense has improved at least a bit, but they are 13th in defensive rating. So what they've gained on offense, they've lost on defense. And Lou started off by promising he would get Love more touches at the elbow, and he did for a little while, but then that's gone away. Um, It just doesn't seem like he has a great grasp on this roster, which is completely understandable for a coach who came in midway through the season and is a first-time head coach. Um, You know, at least Blatt had a year and a half of experience. The guys might not have liked him all that much, but I think there is some value in him having been a fall guy. Basically, you know, you can kind of take the heat for the losses and then it shields LeBron, it shields Kyrie, it shields Kevin from that type of criticism. Um, and also, let's remember, like, last year, sorry to bring this up, Morton, but last year, game four, I believe, in the, against the Bulls in the second round, yeah. Black calls a timeout that he didn't have at the end of the game. Yeah. Should have been a technical foul. Yeah. Bulls should have been up 3-1 in that series. I remember. So that's that's a, a rookie mistake for a guy who had the full year of experience and then had, you know, decades overseas. You know, are we sure that Tyron Lue is not going to make a similar mistake in a crunch time situation in a one possession game in the playoffs? Yeah, that's certainly a tall task to, for a guy to come in his first experience as a head coach midway through the season to take a team to the title. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be in that position. But uh, yeah, I I just don't think that you can give him the edge, obviously, over the coaches that he's going to be facing if, if they make it all the way to the finals. Another problem in Cleveland, as far as I'm concerned, and Brian, you touched on him pretty early on, Kyrie Irving. He looks to be playing for himself so often now compared to last year and in years past. And obviously there are lots of rumblings about he him and LeBron not getting along, but this guy is just dribbling himself Mm -hmm. into weird shots like dribbling himself into the corner and then taking a fadeaway and it's just it's remarkable how low iq he's looked this year compared to when he actually started out without lebron he he was actually looking like a decent iq player at least offensively defensively he's been a train wreck throughout his the course of his career but i i'm not sure that this guy is no longer buying into the entire system and I don't think that necessarily has anything to do with Lou, but just the roster. I, I think he feels that this was supposed to be his team. Now LeBron comes in, he gets Kevin Love mm-hmm. there, and and Kyrie is sort of left in, in purgatory. It's really difficult to get a lot of high egos to mesh well, but this particular instance looks like a train wreck at times, especially the way they just disregard one another mm-hmm. on the court. 
we have so many examples, especially video examples, of guys standing completely wide open in a corner, screaming and yelling for the ball, and either Kyrie or LeBron goes to take the drive instead. It's not winning basketball. Yeah, I, I agree. And I ready for a hot take. I think uh, if Miami stays in the four or the five spot, I think they beat Cleveland in the second round. I don't think mm-hmm. Cleveland even makes it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Because Miami just matches up so well against Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland hasn't beaten Miami in Miami since LeBron came back. And I really think since they got Joe Johnson, they've been really good. Uh, You know, lost to the Lakers last night aside. So I could definitely see a Miami upset over Cleveland in the second round. And then, good God, all of the hot takes will be phenomenal because LeBron James is not going to be pleased. I have a hot take to your hot take if that happens. LeBron goes back to Miami. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which would be the funniest thing oh, God. ever. <laughs> a couple of years ago, I, I wrote a post basically joking that LeBron, he's going to switch between the the Cavs and the Heat in the foreseeable future. Like he, he, He's going to go back to the Cavs, then he's going to go back to Miami, back to the Cavs. I would love it if there, he just got this unique contract for every other year he played, he played for, for the other franchise. It's like, that, that could be amazing. But I, I think Miami is legitimately in play because there, there's all this talk about the team or the, the, the guys from the 2003 draft, you know, wanting to get together and all that. I could see it happening, especially if Miami can't re-sign Hassan Whiteside, you know, with the increased cap, you could sign LeBron, re-sign Wade to a respectable deal. And well, the thing is, though, if you're Pat Riley, do you want him back, Sarah? Uh, <laughs> that's tough because I remember him. You know, you remember he he went through the media to kind of try to throw down and shame him into staying <laughs> uh, after they lost in 2014. He was like, you know, you don't run, you stay mm-hmm. together. When this kind of thing happens, and then obviously LeBron left, but I think he he probably swallows his pride and takes him back if LeBron wanted to come back. Uh, but to go back to what you said about uh, Kyrie, what was strange about their last game against the Rockets, I felt like they were trying to move the ball. Like the first half, even into the third quarter a little bit, they really were swinging it around. Kyrie was was passing it more than we've seen in a while. I thought. I don't know. You guys have to tell me what you thought if you saw that game. But and then they ended up losing because their transition defense was a wreck in the fourth quarter. But you know, it seemed. Like, I don't know if it was just because LeBron wasn't playing. They thought, hey, we better move it around a little bit. But it certainly looked a little more unselfish to start out that game. I don't know if they'll continue that or not. But was interesting i think he had i want to say he had eight assists that yeah. night which yeah he did uh you know in a lot of those lebronless games he ends up taking 20 plus shots and then usually gets like five or fewer assists so i think you're onto something that he was a little more unselfish than he usually is um you know i just think they need to stop pretending that he needs to be the primary ball handler and let lebron do it and then have him coming off slashing more because that's that's his strength. Like, right. He doesn't need to just be dribbling the air out of the ball. Just let LeBron take over more of that, and 
see what happens. I, I saw the game, and yeah, I, I would agree that it seems like he finds some sort of interest in playing when LeBron isn't around, which is <laughs> concerning in itself, <laughs> I would say. But yeah, it, it, it does appear to be that when he knows that it's his team, he really gets on it. That could actually be kind of interesting. Like, let's just for a minute play around with the thought that LeBron might get a nagging injury in the playoffs. I, I don't hope for, for that on anyone because mm. I like good basketball. But it could be interesting to see how Kyrie would fare without LeBron for like a small extended period of time, like five, six games or something like that. Um, because it does seem like LeBron is the, I don't want to say architect of him not being as productive or, or whatnot, but he seems to carry some importance in how Kyrie is playing. And it's, it's obviously significant given that those are the two <laughs> primary players on Cleveland. I mean... <laughs> You know, you need both of them to play well. You actually need all three of, of those guys would love to play well. And But at this point, love is just as big a question mark as anything. Um, like, who, what do you really do? Sack low proposed making love the second option and then Kyrie basically going three style as the third option. I don't hate that. I really don't. Mm-hmm. I, I think that could have some benefits. Like, if you just went to Kyrie and told him, okay, just like, Brian, what you said, like, move off the ball, cut 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 and when you have an a chance for isolation and you know you can get to the rim do it take spot ups just go crazy shoot the ball when you're open don't focus on the ball handling duties just shoot yeah it's worth remembering that the miami heat when he was there they didn't really hit their stride until Bosch, I think he had an abdominal strain against the Pacers in 2012. He went out in the second round. And then that was the series where LeBron and Wade really seemed to figure out, oh, okay, we don't need to just play your turn, my turn. Here's how we can both thrive. So unless LeBron and Kyrie figure that out in the next two weeks, and you know, I thought, again, Love's injury last year might have been a catalyst for that. It's... I, I just don't know how they can radically change in such a short time. So moving on to the Bulls, you mentioned them, Brian. I'm I'm having you know I'm crying <laughs> over remembering back to that game. Um, I've been on the Bulls should lose from here on out train for a while. Uh, I I think they have awful management, and I think it's time to hit the reset button. Apparently, the Bulls did not share that feeling especially at the deadline when they had a chance to trade Pau Gasol's Sacramento but yeah apparently Jimmy Butler is now being uh, well not shot but they're considering uh, making a move this summer and and sending him off for draft picks and and basically rebuilding now in my eyes that's a necessary evil I love Jimmy Butler he's one of the primary elite wings in this game uh as far as I'm concerned, the best shooting guard in basketball right now. But yeah, it's just necessary. At this point, the Bulls just need to retool or actually rebuild entirely from, from start to finish. Like They have to start at a managerial level and go down individually in the roster and just get younger, more explosive, get draft picks involved because there's no way the Bulls will remain relevant if they hang on to their current roster. Morton, I'm curious, what is the bare minimum return you would want for Jimmy? The bare minimum return is a Brooklyn pick for this year via Boston. 
um, the Dallas pick via Boston, and yeah, Amir Johnson to match salaries, of course, and then a future Boston-owned pick. That would be the minimum. But what I would expect for Butler, especially given his talent, is two of the Brooklyn picks. Hmm. And then no Dallas pick then. I can live with that. So this year's pick, this year's Brooklyn pick, 2018, a Boston pick, Amir Johnson. No play, no current players? No, I'm good. I mean, if, if they were to offer like Marcus Smart or one of the youngsters, obviously, but I think Boston is way too bright to do that. I think they want to keep the young guys involved because they have low salaries and they want to go out and make a splash. I, I, I've said this for a while. I think Boston is going to go all in for Jimmy Butler in terms of a trading uh, in, a trade target, and then they're going to go all in for Al Horford at the free agency um, period. So they're going to have a Horford-Butler upgrade season, and then they're going to be rocking the East for the foreseeable future. Yeah. You know, Martin, when you first mentioned trading Jimmy about a week ago, I was taken aback. But the more that I sit with it, the more sense it makes, especially seeing that Boston apparently was interested. Uh, I think Boston, like you said, they have to be careful because you don't want to give away too many of your young guys. But if they can just give away picks, I think it's probably a good move for, for both teams. And the idea seems to be catching on. I've seen so many Jimmy Butler trade ideas floating around on the timeline today, and only only one of them was from you, Morton. <laughs> <laughs> and just to reiterate, I love Jimmy Butler. I absolutely love Jimmy Butler. I, I mean, look at the three Pacers games he's closed this year. He's had a game-winning block on Paul George, a game-winning tip-in on Paul George, and now, just a couple of days ago, he had a game-winning jumper uh, after Paul George got <laughs> confused on a, on, a, on a pick and roll. So Jimmy has just tortured the Indiana Pacers and have, in general, just tortured a lot of teams going off for 53 <laughs> against your Philly, Bri, in a comeback win. I know it was Philly, but still. And the 40-point second half against Toronto, which was just ridiculous. I love his game. I love his demeanor. I love the fact that he gets mm-hmm. to the three-throw line. I love the fact that he defends, that he rebounds, he passes the basketball. For me, I would love to hang on to him, but he's going to be 27 this year. So when a new team or a new rebuilding process is going to be slightly finished, it's going to be four years away when he's 31. And at that point in time, you don't want to have a 31-year-old mixed up with a bunch of 23-year-old kids. It's, it just doesn't add up. You want to have prime players who are in like 20, age 26, 27, that, that age group, basically. So I, I just think it makes sense. But, man, I would hate losing. Of course I would. He's, he's tremendous. But, yeah, it just makes sense moving into Boston. Also because I like Boston. Could you imagine, you know, the Celtics and Warriors slash Spurs going at it for the next three or four years? That could be fun. Mm-hmm. It, it would be so annoying because Boston is already in such a good uh, situation in terms of their cap space. Like, Jay Crowder signed to a below-market deal. Isaiah Thomas is. And Jimmy's on a max deal. But a max deal now, compared to a max deal in two years, there's going to be a huge difference. You know, almost, I think, seven, eight around there seven or eight million uh per year difference so 
that's good. Like that contract is going to look so much better in two years time. And it's going to free up Boston to do that kind of thing. You said more like go after the Al Horfords, go after someone who can really help round out their roster. Yeah. I would be super annoyed, but <laughs> <laughs> that said, I, I could see, I think, you know, if I was a Chicago fan, I would want at least, uh, a Brooklyn pick, at least one other first rounder, Amir to help round out the front court, and because you need him for salary, uh, and Marcus Smart as well, because then that gives you, you know, you got to figure Derrick Rose, this could be his last year in Chicago after coming up in 2016-17, so Smart gives you that potential point guard of the future as well. Moving on to our Amazing Happens segment, and Ryan, let's kick it off with uh, one of the major stories yes. coming out this year. Actually, <laughs> D'Angelo Russell and Nick Young. I, I didn't want to pick up this story, but as you actually told me, there is some basketball-related, uh, well, consequences, I, I should say, basically, uh, in, into this entire story. Yeah, I mean... We're going to steer clear of the Kyrie Irving, Kalani stuff because that is not basketball-related. But D'Angelo, apparently the his fellow teammates are icing him out after he secretly recorded Nick Young admitting that he cheated on his fiance and uploaded to to Snapchat, not understanding that people can record a Snapchat video and repost it. Uh, so apparently it's caused a lot of turmoil in the Lakers locker room. Uh, ESPN, I think Baxter Holmes and Mark Stein were the ones to break the news Tuesday night. And I'm actually writing a Lakers, uh, season eulogy or season autopsy for B-Ball Breakdown at the moment. So as I was writing Tuesday night, I see this scroll across the timeline and I just deleted the whole thing because I'm just going to write 2,500 words on this. Uh, you know, I mean, a lot of NBA players have come out and said, look, we need, I would never play with this guy. I would never trust this guy. If I was the GM, I think Raja Bell was the one who said, if I was the Lakers GM, I would trade him right now. So it's, it does make you wonder, are they, are they going to be able to move past this? Because let's be honest, if Nick Young is icing you out, who cares? He's Nick Young. You're going to try to trade him anyway, or maybe just stretch mm-hmm. him. Like, he's not an important part of the future. Same goes for Lou Williams, who apparently, like, wouldn't talk to D'Angelo this week. The only two people that matter are Jordan Clarkson and Julius Randle, because they're the only two players on the roster who look like potential building blocks. You've got, like, you know, Larry Nance and Anthony Brown are decent players, but you're not going to decide whether to trade a number two overall pick because Larry Nance doesn't get along with him. It's Clarkson and Randall that are the big question marks. So, you know, it, it is worth keeping an eye on how Russell coexists with those guys. And I don't think it'll be apparent on the court, but hopefully we get some more reporting uh, from team sources inside the locker room to see how that plays out because holy hell, if if they have to trade D'Angelo Russell this offseason and Sam Hankey is not offering Jaleel Okafor plus whatever <laughs> whatever else he needs to throw in, I'm out. I'm out on the Sixers. I'll become a Bulls fan. I don't care. Like I don't do that to yourself. It, this is a, 
<laughs> this is just the perfect chance to atone. The Lakers screwed us last year. Let's just redo both guys. Both Okafor and Russell had some negative off-court stuff. They both have baggage. Let's just swap them, throw in some pick considerations. Let's get it done, guys. The Sixers are so young, too. You know, hopefully they wouldn't freeze them out also. But <laughs> they at least have Brett Brown, who, from listening to him talk personally, is a no-nonsense guy. So he could probably get that under control. But this whole thing is just insane. I I can't believe that it happened. But it did. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe how anyone is really targeting D'Angelo Russell here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like I said, I didn't want to go into it, but I can't help myself right now. He mm-hmm. wasn't the one cheating. He wasn't the one <laughs> doing things he shouldn't he shouldn't be doing. I mean, okay, I get it's really <laughs> bad recording someone and not telling them. It's in fact, I believe it's illegal. But you know, from an ethical standpoint. He did the right thing. I mean, I, I even believe Iggy sent out a tweet like, thanks, bro. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So She said, I thought it was a good video. <laughs> <laughs> well, Morton, you, you get got to understand, you have to feel bad for Nick. I mean, it's, it's always very disappointing when someone you thought you could trust turns out to be disloyal. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I just, you know, not to make light of it, not to make light of it, but um, it literally, method aside, it's the same offense. Yeah. They both broke trust. Um, so, I mean, if if one of them offends you more than the other, it tells you more probably about yourself than about Russell or Young. And that's good. It's always good to take stock of how you react to things. And uh, if you're fine with how you react to it, then that's cool. Yeah, I, I do think this whole morality discussion is interesting because it does seem like Russell's catching mm-hmm. a lot more heat than Nick, even though Nick is the guy, you know, who apparently admitted to cheating on his fiance. That said, I can get why Russell is on blast. Like, it's not as though he was a friend of Iggy Azalea and he was concerned about his mm-hmm. her well-being and just wanted to get this recording so he could show her privately. That would be one thing, and that's you know, at least relatively honorable. You're still breaking your teammate code of honor or whatever, but at least you're keeping it out of the public's eye. But just to do it as a prank and then to post it online, and it's it's not like he cares about the well-being of their relationship. He was just being a dick. So I could get why people are putting him on blast, but it does seem like Nick Young... Uh, he, he's gotten off pretty scot-free here, and I don't know that he should be. But I, I think that probably just speaks to the pervasiveness of infidelity among NBA players, that it's not a huge surprise that one is cheating on his fiance. It's really been a gossip-filled NBA season, hasn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really. I mean, it's social media has, has taken the coverage of this, this league to a whole new level so many articles out there about what happens behind closed doors just imagine if you had twitter in the 1980s just internet generally oh yeah things we wouldn't know like charles barkley yeah early charles barkley or it, i mean like imagine if there is twitter with wilt chamberlain oh. <laughs> yeah just how many how many women did he impregnate that we right. Don't know about right yeah. exactly yeah. like he would oh my god <laughs> 
or Michael wait, wait. Jordan practices. Yeah. Could you imagine Twitter after he punched Steve Kerr? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <sighs> yeah. Well, okay, so let's move on from that because I already feel ashamed that we've spoken about this. For <laughs> mm. um, going back to the Thunder for a minute, they played the Pistons and lost, and Reggie Jackson was kind of celebrating, and both Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant took major offense to this. I, I'm not really sure they would have had it been anyone other than Reggie Jackson, but <laughs> it was Reggie. <laughs> and now they, it, it, Durant called the celebration for Bush League, and I believe that Russell Westbrook said some words that I can't repeat right here. Mm-hmm. It was... Uh, it was interesting. There's really some bad blood there. Yeah, I cannot wait for the first Pistons OKC game next year. That's going to be Westbrook. You know how like Patrick Beverly plays like he's trying to take someone's head off all the time? Yeah. Westbrook is going to actually murder Reggie Jackson <laughs> on the court. It's going to be our first televised NBA murder, and it is going to be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds so wrong. <laughs> the funny thing is, the Spurs were just in OKC, and I think sat what the big three and Lamarcus and Kawhi, and the Thunder, being the Thunder, had no problem, you know, jumping up and down on the bench and celebrating <laughs> like they usually do when they finally pulled away, which took past halftime, by the way. But so. It's just funny to me that they would even take exception. It's it's kind of silly. But like you said, it's because of who it is. But, yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I like that KD pointed out that uh, the whole team didn't play and then said we would have beat the hell out of them <laughs> if it did. It's just... But, yeah, as you said, it's pretty, uh, pretty hypocritical of them to cover out and be upset three days after preening when they're beating Boban and Jonathan Simmons all night. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, just you know, we're going gonna go all out gossip and feuds this week because we have another one on our hand on our hands. Boogie Cousins and George Carl. <laughs> oh man. Um basically he protects uh, Seth Curry, which I appreciate, you know, Boogie did. Um but I, I'm I'm actually surprised that the George Carl experiment is still active at this point. I, I would have assumed that yeah. by like the All Star break he would have been fired, and there were even rumblings about it at that point in time. I just think the Sacramento decided to keep him on for PR purposes, not to appear completely idiotic to fire another head coach that soon into his his tenure. Uh, I mean. I think Sacramento has become like this constant source of humor. Basically, <laughs> if you wanna, if you wanna have a good laugh, you just go, go to Google, search King's antics, and and filter it for the last twenty four hours, and you'll get something. Oh, like Rajan Rondo and Boogie getting technicals for clapping at an like official. That, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Boogie getting his sixteenth technical and earning a suspension because he just in the like last seconds of a game that they're clearly gonna win he just couldn't help himself with being sarcastic so i have a question regarding boogie in general because you know he there's a there's a lot of shade being thrown at boogie and has been for his entire career but sarah there's no question that demarcus is a hell of a player like he's one of the leading 
players in the entire league, best center. He's, now he's even added a three-point shot to his arsenal. What kind of team do you think he needs to be on where you can actually tunnel that aggressiveness and his mindset into being productive? Well, clearly he should be a spur. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh no, that's a good question. Um, he definitely needs a coach that can kind of level with him, make him understand, you know, things beyond basketball. That I care about you beyond basketball, and, and maybe he'll listen to that person. But I don't have high hopes for him really changing very much he's been in the league how many years already and you know that's been the story his entire career is oh man he's so talented if he could just get a handle on his emotions a little bit but it hasn't happened so I don't know how much more he's really going to mature but as an organization don't you have the responsibility to actually develop your players under the best possible circumstances because when you yin yanging coaches in and out including the one coach that actually reached you in Mike mm -hmm. Malone isn't the organization just begging to see itself blow up basically in in the in the face of cousins here because i understand his frustration level i understand that he looks at management uh, as a complete cluster or something and the same, the same for the coaching staff. It, it seems like there's never any stability. And when you have a guy <laughs> that's this talented, but also this emotional, you need stability. Stability is the number one key word here, and they have provided none of it. So while I agree that he has this tendency to be very emotional and sometimes damaging, I, I really put that on the feet of the Sacramento Kings, honestly. Sure. Yeah, I'm, three quick things. One, last night was the first time that the Kings have won 30 games with Cousins. This is now his sixth year in the league. Wow. So anyone who is concerned about the detrimental effects of a losing culture need only look at Boogie. Two, Morton, you said it. Like They just should have never fired Mike Malone. He was the only guy they've had who's connected with Boogie, and we've seen him in Denver. He's a good coach. Like He knows what he's doing. He connects with his players. If you have a guy who is a, you know, has the reputation of being hot-headed and you have a coach who's connecting with him, win-loss record almost doesn't matter at that point, especially after you're firing him because Boogie got sick with meningitis. Like, it was just the most short-sighted decision the Kings have made in quite some time, which says a lot because they're the Kings and they make <laughs> short-sighted decisions all the time. Uh, and three, in terms of where he needs to go, Morton, I hate to do this to you, but I kind of think he's he's perfect in Boston. I think they need to yeah. save all of the save their ammo and target him instead of Jimmy, just because a they a lot of their big men are young and are about to be restricted free agents or coming up for extensions. B, Brad Stevens and Boogie just seems unfair. Like that, I yeah. don't see how that doesn't work out because Brad Stevens really seems to develop a strong connection with all of his players, and all of those guys want to go for, to war for him. And he's a great in-game strategist. So, like, God help the NBA if Boogie actually has a good coach. Uh, and also, he'd be reunited with Isaiah Thomas. That would be I want to see a reality show with the two of them because <laughs> that would be it would be perfect. I I, I like the idea of. 
Boogie going to Boston, it would be actually it would be kind of amazing to get both Jimmy and Cousins if you can manage your draft picks correctly, as well as cash in on the young guys. Potentially, mm-hmm. you, you could make that happen. That would be quite a summer. Butler and Cousins. Yeah. I mean, you could wrap up the Eastern Conference for the next five years mm-hmm. if you're Boston. Let's stick to the Kings for a bit because, Brian, you touched on this. They're the Kings, and they make weird decisions. And right now, <laughs> Lottie Divas has received a contract extension. I even believe he signed it. My only question is, with that contract, was there a sports corporate finances book for dummies attached? <laughs> because that's sort of required. This is a dude who still hasn't understood the complexities of the salary cap. Which I sort of get on the surface because it is complicated, but you know, if you get that job, you need to understand that you need to put in the work. Um, now the Kings are going to find him an executive to work alongside with, but man, that's an awful lot of special treatment just to have your guy in place. Yeah, I just don't get. I mean, it sounds like they are going to hire someone to manage the more difficult and the complexities of the CBA. But, like, that's your job as a general manager. That is literally what you're getting paid to do. So why are you keeping him if he's not going to do the job of a general manager? Just hire someone who actually knows how the CBA works and call it a day. It makes no sense unless they want to keep sending pick swaps to Philadelphia, in which case, Vladi Divac forever. (laughs) Yeah, uh... Well, you know, the uh, the Sixers brought in Colangelo to help uh, Hinky, so there's precedent for really well-run organization doing <laughs> that. So <laughs> why not? Why not? Just go uh, for that it. That was cold-blooded. I'm sorry, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know what? I, I I'm also being a little bit harsh on Lottie. It's just. You know, it's so Kings. It's really not Lottie, it's the Kings. When that report surfaced a couple of months ago that Lottie didn't understand the CBA, it was like, of course he doesn't. (laughs) There just has to be another thing wrong with the Kings, just another problem arising. It's just, it's the never-ending story. Which brings me to my next question, Brian. When will this team get it together? Are we talking about when Vivek Ranadive is gone as as the is the primary owner or are we looking at you know a change in coaching staff or are we looking at an organization who's just about there in terms of figuring stuff out in terms of how things needs to be handled oh hell no not not the last one definitely not the last one <laughs> uh i mean it really depends on what they're going to do with boogie but george carl is definitely gone after this year there's just no way that they can keep him around. All of his players have quit on him. It's not just Boogie. I mean, Rudy Gay has come out and said this is the hardest year he's ever had. Uh, Carl is also undermining Willie Cauley-Stein at every possible opportunity. Like, every time he scores 20 points, Carl comes out after the game and says, oh, well, we just set him up for a bunch of easy lobs and dunks. Like, (laughs) all right, guy, that's your next franchise center in theory, so maybe don't pull a Byron Scott and slam him all the time. Uh, I mean, I think they're going to have to trade Boogie this offseason just because it's we, we've gone to the point, past the point of no return, in which case you're starting at square one again. So, I, I mean, 
God, like, I don't see any upside for the next half decade. Is that, like, is that mean to say? Because if they, they, they could swap their, I mean, if the Sixers, like, if the Kings win the lottery, the Sixers are going to take their pick. If the Kings win the lottery next year, the Sixers are going to take their pick. And then the Sixers have an unprotected first round pick coming in 2019 from them. So a lot of their draft compensation could be worse than you would expect for a team this bad. And then if you're starting from scratch with really probably Willie Cauley-Stein, a bunch of other draft picks, and then you're probably trading Rudy Gay too, and Rajon Rondo is definitely leaving. Like, you you have no one in place aside from Kali Stein, so I don't see how you're going to be competing for a spot in the Western Conference anytime soon. So, basically, the Nets of the West. Yeah. Oh, my God. Such a good way to put it. Yes, the Nets of the West. Oh, well, that's depressing. (laughs) I I, I see a, a, a team owner who just has no grasp of the NBA game and the way to conduct NBA business and that's really always been a problem with new owners that when they come in they treat NBA teams like corporate you know brands that they've used to run and they don't really understand the complexities that is the NBA but now that Vivek has been there for like three or four years he should have gained a higher understanding at least of how things operate and it doesn't seem like that's the case so I'm looking at ownership here that's really mm-hmm. the key for me. This is this is Vivek Ranadive's do or die time, and if he's if he keeps sinking this team lower and lower and lower, at some point, team owners are gonna have to look at him and like, yeah, you're not gonna turn a profit this year again. You're not gonna. <laughs> you, you don't. Even, you're not even competitive. You're actually hurting the NBA brand by your mere presence. So, I could see him be squeezed out eventually. I wouldn't. Yeah. It's- yeah. It sounds like there's a power struggle between him and the minority owners of the Kings. So I don't know if there's like a way for them to stage a coup d'etat against him, but <laughs> it does yeah, it does make you wonder. Uh, you know, no team is going to be really good until their ownership and their front office are all, all on the same page and their coaches. So right now, if their ownership is divided, the front office and the coach has no chance. So they need to get their ducks in a row between Vivek and the other owners first, then figure out their uh, front office and whatever the hell they're doing with Vlade, then get a good coach, then and only then can they start to actually build towards something that has a chance of winning more than 35 games. Let's turn the discussion over to something way more positive. Our weekly crush, which is a segment that, uh, well, each of us, we select our, our crush for the week, a player or a team that we particularly enjoy. And let's start off with you, Brian, because you chose Tobias Harris of the Detroit Pistons. My man. Yeah, like, uh, he, I, I feel like he's kind of flown under the radar how good he's been in Detroit. Because for whatever reason, Detroit just isn't attracting all that much media attention. But... So, I mean, keep this sample size in mind. It's only 21 games, so it's not like we can draw substantive conclusions yet. But he's averaged 16.4 points, 6.1 rebounds, 2.8 assists, and 1.2 threes 
He's th- shooting above 47% overall, above 36% on threes, and above 90% on free throws. If this was a whole season, which, again, it's not, but if it was, he'd be setting career highs in PER, true shooting percentage, and box plus minus. So he's been great. And it's not hard to figure out why. Like, he has the skill set to be an ideal stretch four next to Drummond. And because opponents have to devote so much attention to Reggie Jackson, Drummond pick and rolls, just having him spot up for the perimeter as a catch and shoot kind of guy, like he's perfect for that role. And he can create his own offense. Um, the, Pel- the Pistons are 13 and eight with him in the lineup. So it's not like his success is coming at the expense of the team. I, I just can't believe that Stan Van Gundy pilfered him for the expiring contract of Brandon Jennings and then Ersan Ilyasova, who can also think he's got a little bit of money guaranteed for next year, but one would assume Orlando is also going to waive him. They didn't have to give up a first-round pick for a 23-year-old on a very reasonable contract who is a perfect fit for the team. Uh, like Stan Van Gundy is in my top three for executive of the year just because of this trade. I like the point that he's flying under the radar because of Drummond's and Reggie Jackson's pick and roll abilities. Because when the defense collapses on those guys, it's not just his ability, uh, Tobias Harris, that mm-hmm. is, to stretch the floor. He can actually get the ball and take those two hard dribbles towards the basket because he has this strong physique. He's 6'9", like 240 and he, he can get to the rim. So when someone closes out on him hard, he does this one fake and he puts the ball on the floor and can really just go hard to the rim. And, and this just puts so much... This collapses the defense so much that it actually frees up Drummond to get offensive rebounds. Or you can even see Harris at times make the small drop-off fast to Drummond who then jams at home or passes it out further to Reggie Jackson who now is somewhat open from the outside it just adds so much complexity to their offense which i really enjoy and stanman gunny knows exactly how to utilize him it looks a little bit like he's using him in the same vein as richard lewis back in orlando Mm-hmm. yep yeah he's he's like the perfect i mean you had to figure when stan came to detroit and had drummond he would try to build a roster similar to those late 2000s Magic teams where they have Dwight in the middle and then four shooters around him. And, I mean, Tobias, he didn't come in with the reputation of being a great three-point shooter. He only had one season above 33%. But if he keeps shooting like this, (laughs) Orlando's going to look even dumber than they did at the deadline. So, Sarah, your weekly crush. Oh, full disclosure, I was I had an insane moment where I was considering picking uh, Montrez Harrell from the Rockets, <laughs> not for, not for anything he's done on the floor because he doesn't really get to play, but just I was like strangely irrationally disappointed when the Spurs passed on him and R.J. Hunter in the draft, and I just <laughs> for uh, for the season that the Rockets are having and with most of their problems being stemming from inconsistent effort. I just wondered why he couldn't get on the floor more. But a few days ago, I saw that he's he's doing a stint in the D-League, and he apparently pushed a referee and got suspended for five games. 
So today <laughs> is not the day for mantras. Maybe, maybe another day. <laughs> but, uh, so I'm going to go with a spur, actually. My, my weekly crush is Kyle Anderson, slow-mo. Um, I just love his game. A part of it is vanity because I feel like you know, back in my glory days, we, we played the same style right down to the fact that he looks like he's running in quicksand. That's very me. But um, he's getting more time lately now that Pop is in full-on maintenance mode. And uh, in 36 minutes uh, at Memphis the other night, he had 13 points, three rebounds, seven assists, four steals, and one block. And over the last three games, he's averaging seven points, three and a half rebounds, four and a half assists, two and a half steals in 27 minutes. Uh, he's just got a great game. His his release is super slow. I don't know if Chip England is ever gonna hopefully be able to get that a little quicker, <laughs> but he's uh he's shooting better this year. He's up from 34% last year to about 47% this year. He's still working on his three point shot, getting that more consistent. He's all, he's below 30% right now, but uh, you know he's got a decent shot. He can handle the ball. He was basically a point guard in college. Um, He's even though he's not quick, he's got the length to kind of make up for that on defense. He's smart, and uh, my favorite thing about him is his passing. I, I love the way he passes the ball. Uh, the the other day in Memphis, he on the defensive end, he came over to cut off this drop off pass on on the help side, and he he ran the break, and he was actually able to use his slowness <laughs> to kind of lull the entire defense to sleep. And then he hit Patty Mills with this nice bounce pass for the layup. So I just love watching him play the game. He, he's he's very deliberate. He's never in a hurry. It's fun to watch. Hopefully he gets some playoff minutes. He said his, his goal this whole season has been to earn some playoff minutes. And I think he has. Oh, hopefully he has. Just a few anyway. He's one of those guys where the Spurs drafted him and immediately you say, oh, God, he's <laughs> yeah. going to be so good in three years. Like, I know – I know he's athletically limited, but he just has that all-around game. Like He is their next Boris Diaw, and it's going to be so upsetting. Remember in Summer League when he would continuously run fast break, slow-footed, and still complete plays because he just <laughs> threw people off? Like People just were over-aggressive, and he was just so calm that people would just go after blocks, and he would just <laughs> lay them out and then just go up for like small layups. And... He, he, and the great thing about it was everyone in the gym knew it was coming. They just didn't know how to stop it. You you couldn't stop the slowness. You just couldn't. <laughs> he's the type of guy that when I look back at like one of some of the epic NBA final series that's been throughout the course of, of the league history, he's one of those guys that come in from the bench and, and makes a difference. You know, he's the guy who can come in, play five mm-hmm. minutes and not make a mistake. Right. Make two or three passes that are just right on the money. Uh, no turnovers, grabbing essential boards, pushing the tempo, hitting an open shot, and just doing his part in gaining that championship. So I, I really look forward to seeing him get significant um, playoff minutes, and for him that's about 12 to 15 minutes. If he could get mm-hmm. that, that would be that would be pretty spectacular. I, I understand that he averages 15 on the year, but, yeah, I mean, given his, his current streak where he's looking real good, I could see Pop giving him some leash. Mm-hmm. And he's one of those guys, like, when you win a championship, you can't just rely on your big three or your top three or four guys. Like, there's always one game 
where some completely under the radar dude goes off for like 25 points in 20 minutes and just swings the uh, complexion of that game. Anderson is that guy. Like he could totally, he's not going to win you a whole series, but he could absolutely be a ringer off the bench one time, win you a game, and then that's only three yeah. left. And that in itself carries its weight in gold, right? I mean, when you look at it, what is that type of win worth? If you if you're looking in the finals mm-hmm. where you need to win four games, that's that's like ten million dollars worth when you look at it. My crush is the Denver Nuggets, surprisingly. And and Brian, I'm so sorry to do this to you and your Sixers, but they're they're doing such such good job at rebuilding the Nuggets are, and and it's really what the Sixers should have been doing the same model. I mean, they have so much going for themselves. I mean, you have Danilo Gallinari, mm-hmm. who is 27, 28, still in his prime. And, and the Nuggets are right there. They can actually be a playoff team by next year if, it, if they hit on all cylinders. So that means he's young enough to be part of the, the established core going forward. Gary Harris has shown tremendous improvements. Emmanuel Moutier has had his best month in March and seems to be you know, grasping the NBA game a little bit better. Will Barton has been an animal throughout. I mean, he, he's just one of the best six men um, in a while, actually. Uh, Nikola Jokic, um, Joffrey Laverne, Yusuf Nurkic, the three-headed center monster here. I mean, all doing their thing, different uh, rebounding, scoring, stretching. Uh, what can't they do, really? And then they have a truckload of picks coming in this year alone. I am really dicking Denver's rebuilding process and how they are flying completely under the radar. They also have Wilson Chandler coming back from, I think he had a hip injury. So he's, uh, that's another guy. I don't believe he's all that old. I think he's around the same age as Gallinari or maybe a little bit older. Yeah, I think 28. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're set up to be sneaky good next year. I think uh, a lot depends on what they do with Farid in the offseason. I would trade him. Uh, he's not a strong defender. He is mm-hmm. um, not a good shooter either. He's actually regressed in that area. He's he's begun scoring closer to the rim now again. He he experimented in previous years with taking mid-range shots, and he's kind of dropped that um, aspect of his game because yeah. it just didn't result in anything positive, and he's gambling a lot. You know, I like him as an <laughs> energy player, but I don't like him as a featured power forward. So you could... You can make an argument of hanging on to him as mm-hmm. long as you then get a better power forward in his place. Maybe you slot uh, Nikola Jokic down mm-hmm. and, and play real big, but in today's game where you need to play a little bit small, that might not be the best thing to do. It, it depends, but there are some options there at least. Yeah, I mean, they could always even try Gallo and Chandler at the three and the four, some combination. Yeah. And then, yeah, I think... Fareed, if he sticks around, you probably want to move him to the bench, give him 25 minutes a night, uh, basically make him like a very rich man's Thomas Robinson. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's actually not a bad comparison. The biggest thing for me, though, Will Barton mm-hmm. is locked up for the next two years after this for 3.6 and 3.9 million. For his production, that's... I mean, he has to be in the top 20 of, of the best contracts in the NBA, if, if not top 10, actually. It's, it's ludicrous how well he's playing right now for that money. And it provides the Nuggets a chance to upgrade their roster while not having to dip into 
the the uh, Will Barton extension fund anytime soon. Uh, the, the the key here is that he's on that short deal or that um, small deal when the 2017 summer rolls around when the cap explodes completely mm-hmm. to the 108 mark. The Nuggets could legitimately be a frightening team in two years. That's that's ridiculous to think about. And they have a boatload of draft picks coming this year, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're going to be fun. They're one of those teams to watch with uh, Minnesota and Utah that are coming. And for our last segment, the depressed fan scale. And Brian, this is this is your show. <laughs> this is a 1 to 10 rating of how depressed one could be. Uh, one is Sarah, basically, <laughs> because she's a Spurs fan. And, and Brian... Where are you this week with the with the Philadelphia 76ers? You know, I'm actually only about a six right now, believe it or not. Oh. Yeah, I know. Well, because one, there's the light at the end of the tunnel, and there's only like seven or eight more games that I have to watch this team. And then hopefully, God willing, we'll have Dario Saric <laughs> and Joel Embiid and a bunch of draft picks and some free agents come in. So the Sixers being as bad as they are, Hopefully it's coming to an end soon, and I can finally taste that. But in the meantime, they are still searching for their 10th win to avoid tying the 1972-73 Sixers for the worst record in NBA history, which is a really fun thing to be striving for the last couple weeks. But because New Orleans has maybe a half of a healthy player left, uh, now that Drew Holiday is done for the year, the Sixers play them... At home on April 5th. And if they don't win that game, I'm going to be a 13 out of 10 on this scale because they're actually going to tie the tie the 72-73 Sixers. But aside from that, now we're just looking at uh, lottery picks and draft considerations. And they've got the number one, or at least the worst record, sealed up. So they're going to have the best odds. Uh, also means they're not going to slip any lower than four. The Kings are starting to rest players or get players suspended for clapping a referees. So the Sixers can pick swap with them if the Kings go ahead and win the number one pick. So every every loss for the Kings is going to bump up those odds just a little bit more. Uh, and, you know, Nerlens is hurt. Joel uh, Jaleel Okafor is out for the year. But Elton Brand's playing, and I love Elton Brand, and he's playing well, so it just makes me happy to see him playing uh, just once more in a Sixers uniform, because chances are he's going to retire at the end of the season, and this time it's going to be for good. I can't wait for a week from now, or to a week from now, when when Philly has lost (laughs) to (laughs) New Orleans. It's going to be so bad. I'm going to do this podcast just rip-roaringly drunk because I'm not going to stop drinking until they actually win a game. <laughs> so you're basically going to be drinking to, like, October. Yeah, right. I'm going to be, like, in the hospital recording, getting my stomach pumped. <laughs> oh, no. And, and Sarah, do we even need to ask you? <laughs> Yeah, not really. I'm kind of at a, at a zero, not applicable today. Uh, I'm sure heartbreak is coming sometime in the playoffs, but so there's a sense of foreboding. But I, I've resolved to just really enjoy everything we have left. So I'm just going to enjoy the run as much as I can. But we're happy today. 
I'm not envious at all. No. <laughs> oh, yeah. Morton, how how are you feeling after uh, the Bulls kept their playoff hopes alive <laughs> the other night? I'm a, I'm at about an eight now. Because I just want them to lose, lose, lose. They still keep that little fight in them. They're still so inconsistent, and all their troubles are still there. And They had a team meeting and then went out and lost. That was a good thing because that just showed that there was absolutely no way this team is going to get fully back on track. But, you know, I could just see that they squeezed out that last playoff spot, and I hate that. So I, I would just I would feel so much more comfortable if they just lost five straight and be done with it. That was that was be my key here, so yeah. I, it's I'm gonna be very bulls, very bulls when they. I think they get the Sixers as their last game of the season. So <laughs> please beat you us. And I, yeah, you and I will both be rooting for the Sixers <laughs> that night. Yeah, yeah. Thing is though, I've lost all interest for the Bulls this year, like all interest. It, it's it's not even funny how many Bulls fans have actually just stopped watching the team lately. I mean. It's not just the effort. It's the thing that everyone knows that management is in, too involved and makes these horrible decisions. And Fred Hoiberg right now is a rookie coach who honestly looks pretty poor, but you can't put it all at his feet. Fair enough. But it's just such a mess from management level, coaching level, player level. And if they have any ideas of trying to replicate this team next year just with a draft pick or – another 35 year old veteran signed in free agency i'm just i'm gonna jump off the train and i'm just gonna join sarah <laughs> on the san antonio wagon come yeah, on over I, I i'm really gonna do that because uh my heart can't <laughs> jeez i i think it's worth wondering who's gonna be more depressed you when they sign Pau Gasol for 20 million or me when the sixers fall to number four in the Don't. draft don't do this to me, Bri. I'm just <laughs> That's not Got to pre- prepare ourselves for the worst here. But the thing about it, though, getting the fourth pick, that's not a bad thing. Getting Pow is a bad thing, especially <laughs> with $20 I mean, you could at least get someone decent there. You could get Buddy Heald in there. Pau Gasol, 36-year-old guy getting $20 million a year, that's... That's not a good thing, Bri. Yeah, you, you have a fair point. At least, <laughs> yeah. at least I won't have to root for Pau Gasol. <laughs> And with that, we will wrap up our first episode of the NBA podcast presented by People Breakdown. Uh, jump on to peoplebreakdown.com for more coverage of the league. Um, lots of different and, and awesome characters over there. So give that a read and, and, and a watch on YouTube, of course. And Brian and Sarah, it was um, nice recording this first podcast with you, and I'm looking forward to many more. Sounds good, Martin. It was Pleasure. fun. Bye. Welcome to Total Wine and More. It's much more than a wine store. It's the eighth wonder of the world. When people talk about Total Wine and More, they get a little carried away. We're just a big, friendly place run by people with a passion for wine and beer. See, we travel the world to find the best wines from the best regions, and we sell them at the lowest prices anywhere. And friendly, helpful experts at every turn. You know what? Maybe we are the eighth wonder of the world. Shop in store or online at TotalWine.com. 
Easter is coming up, and I just can't wait to have the whole family in one place. And of course, what's Easter without an awesome Easter brunch? Now, I don't know about your family, but mine is a little picky, and I really wanted to impress them with something delicious. A friend told me I should check out Total Wine and More. It was crazy. They must have every wine and beer imaginable. I told one of their friendly experts my situation, and they found me just the thing. This sparkling wine is going to be absolutely perfect for brunch, even with my picky family. I know next time I need something, I'm shopping at Total Wine and more. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance let's say you just bought a house bad news is you're one step closer to becoming your parents you'll proudly mow the lawn ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn tell people to stay off the lawn compare it to your neighbor's lawn and complain about having to mow the lawn again good news is it's easy to bundle home and auto through progressive and save on your car insurance which of course will go right into the lawn Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations.